A Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Celia, how are you today? I'm very well. Nice to see your smiley face. Oh, yes. Not on Instagram this time, in uh, reality. Oh, well, that's, you know what? What? Let's just straight up put it out there. Mm. We have an Instagram account. <laughs> it yes. is called Collective The Wellness. Yes. Uh, don't ask me why. I actually put in The Wellness Collective, but that's what it spat out at me. So oh, we okay. are Collective The Wellness on Instagram. <laughs> we would love for you to come and follow us there. We've been meaning to do this for quite some time and it was trying to work out the right way to do it. And this is the right way because there you can get all the episodes, you can yes. get some little tidbits of information, some behind the scenes stuff. And of course, you can contact us directly through it if you like yes. as well. So there's It is a very so good way of contacting us and anything benefits. that you want us to cover, anything that, uh, anything, anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is, it's all there. So we place. would totally encourage you to get on over there and start to check out what we've got on offer. That's right. Throw Collective us a follow. The wellness. And we love likes. We, just like we like ratings, <laughs> we like likes. It makes us feel Throw us a validated. follow. <laughs> there, there's, there's a saying you didn't hear 10 years ago. Throw us a follow. Oh, my goodness yep. me. Now, today, um, you're going to drive the bus mostly, I am aren't you? going to drive the bus. And but before we get started, we did promise that we're going to start to do something, mm. and that is read out our favourite review. Okay. So um, I'm highly organised and just pulling the reviews up as we speak because that's how we roll. You like to just make sure they're fresh. What we want is people to obviously review and rate the podcast, um, and then, you know, never know, you might actually be read out mm. in an episode. Especially if you've got a really funny pseudonym. You know, right? There's a few of them out there. Hey, there's one about um, essential oils that's come up here. I like this. It says, thanks for nailing the topic on the head, going to purchase some lavender. There you go. Well, that was powerful. Got the point across. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What else have we got going on here? I don't think we've read this one out. This is a five-star rating from... Verena, she says, thank you, Nat and Cecilia. I've listened to all episodes and learnt so much. I've recommended your podcast to a few friends. I think it's supposed to say a few friends, which is why I got stuck on that. <laughs> I love how literal you are. I know, right? Now, who have also got addicted, the topics and guests are empowering without trying to tell people what they have to do. Love it. Bring on the next one. Oh, that's we love a good her. One. Yeah. So please leave your rating and your comment, and we might just read it out. We have had a lot of variety in the last bunch of Wellness Collective podcasts, yes. which is, it's we just have this moment of inspiration where we're like, that right. is a good topic. Well, today's no exception. Absolutely. Because I was having a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. who is very special to me, and we were talking about child protection and protecting our children, and this is the line of work that this certain person does, mm-hmm. and. As he was talking, I was like, why have we not got you on the podcast? So here we are. So we do. We have a very special guest today. Welcome to the Wellness Collective. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. You want to tell everybody who you are? Who you are and what you do? (laughs) What's your name? Well, my name is Carl, Carl Collins, and um, I'm a a former child protection investigator with um, Protective Services Victoria. I was in that role for about um, 16, 17 years uh, in charge of a team of um, pre-court investigators and uh, also a children's court prosecutor, a departmental children's court prosecutor as well. And uh, after many years in that role, moved out into another area of um, 
child uh, protection and abuse consultation and training. So we train a, a whole range of organisations throughout Australia, the Asia-Pacific region, in um, knowing really what to do, but importantly, what not to do for professionals and volunteers when they suspect that abuse may be occurring or uh, a child discloses uh, that abuse is occurring. So we train organisations in that area. Uh, throughout the Asia-Pacific, uh, the organisations that I've, I've been involved in, we also specialise in training uh, police forces mm-hmm. in child protection investigation techniques. Um, but the area that we are particularly um, focusing on and um, specialising in these days is that of uh, child sex offender profiling. So just 16 years of child protection and then all of that in the mix. I think like, this is going to be a long one. It is going to be a long one. We'll I, prepare everybody now, but so important that well, we learn this. Well, this is the thing. I think um, we have done a lot of topics that seem serious, but when we dig into them, we're like, well, you can have a bit of fun with that. But this one is one of those serious ones where everyone needs to know this, but I think a lot of people just kind of have their heads in the sand or they think, oh, that's never going to happen to me or my kids. So I don't really need to know about that. That's something that happens at institutions or something that doesn't involve me. But apparently it's a little bit more widespread than that. And, you know, we're not fear-mongering, but we think this is a really good opportunity to have a chat about it. Yeah, an open conversation. I think it's very important that you're right. I think a lot of us have our head in the sand Mm. and all we just choose to hope that that never happens and never really fully understand what not only that it could happen, how it might happen, what the consequences and long-term, how do we deal with that as well? It's not just a one-time thing. It stays with somebody forever if um, Mm. they have been subject to abuse. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then dealing with that too, you know, we're all different in the way that we, we deal with that. So I guess... How did you become interested in doing this? Look, it's funny, you know, because um, when I think back to that, I I can very clearly remember at the time just beginning to take an interest, um, hearing news items, uh, reading stories uh, in terms of um, abuse and just thinking, well, you know, that's initially, initially I I probably want to go into the police force, uh, uh, but um, I I just, this is an area that somehow, you know what, it's a bit of a blur, I just ended up there Mm. Uh, and it's an area that I went into and some doors opened up and, and I pursued those opportunities uh, and, and, and took it on. Uh, it's quite quite amazing. It's quite interesting really though how things find us, isn't it? Yeah. Because I don't think mm. it would be most people's cup of tea. Well, it's not. And, um, you know, if we if we look at uh, across the country, I mean, it may vary slightly, but child protection investigators, the burnout rate is extremely high. What's when, the average, do you know? When I was in the job, the average was under 18 months. Wow. Um, and um, lasting 16 to 17 years, I don't know whether that makes me okay <laughs> or whether it makes me a bit strange. Mm. Well, I mean, you talk about prevention being better than cure. Let's just keep yep. on throwing into it because we've got lots to cover. Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I know that um, we all have a different level of awareness, like Mm -hmm. you said, and I think, you know, it's like anything in life, but how is it that we start to, you know, without getting carried away, how do we start to bring this into our awareness? Because it can be really scary, I think, when you start to talk about it and the, you know, potentially what is unfolded before your eyes. So how do we start to talk about this? Well, look, you know, the Royal Commission, we've just had a a Royal Commission into institutional responses uh, to child sex abuse. Now, the bottom line for anybody, um, you know, and I could stand corrected here, but my 
very clear view is that for anybody that's worked in child protection for any amount of time or in law enforcement, the Royal Commission, I don't believe, has told us anything that we didn't already know. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's uh, the one thing, well, th with the one exception of it, it runs deeper than we probably ever thought, and that's that's clearly evident. Um, but but the fact of the matter is that, that the Royal Commission has put this right up front. Mm, this it's is made it public, hasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's right in front of all. You, you, you know, the last couple of years, you open a paper, you turn on the news, and bang, there it is. And in terms of awareness, I mean, um, we, we do we do a lot of training for volunteers in churches as well, mm -hmm. a, a heck of a lot. Uh, and I can remember many years ago um, going to a number of denominations who were asking me, what sort of training do we need? And we always said, well, you need a component of child sex offender awareness. And uh, I can remember two denominations all those years ago saying, that's absolutely ridiculous, that's not warranted, it's not necessary. Well, have a look at the situation 14 <laughs> years later. And now, interestingly, for all of the, the churches and denominations that we are engaged by, um, we, we, we are finding now um, that that's the most sought-after input that mm. they're looking for. Um, but the whole thing is it's about putting it out there in front of people with a healthy level of awareness. It's no good conducting training or consultancy, whether it's in the religious sector or in the corporate sector, uh, whereby the pendulum swings to overreactive, ridiculous levels. That That's not going to be helpful for for anyone. So, you know, I, I, I still spend far too much of my time and my organisation going into organisations that are either be being held accountable legally for mm. not responding well because they haven't trained people. Organisations are being sued by victims, not just because abuse happened, but because they have failed to adequately train their staff and yeah. their volunteers. Um, you know, there's that aspect of it. Um, or we're going into organisations that have been infiltrated by a preferential child molester. And it's not until we get into those organisations that we uncover that they've done very little, if anything, that may have prevented that from happening. Yeah. Um, so so it's, for me, it's more about getting out there, getting in front of people and giving people that information to hopefully, you know, build build a better culture in our society where we've got a higher level of, of, of awareness. On the awareness thing, I always find it quite interesting. I've got small children and um, I'm very vigilant about where they are, who's yep. with them, parties, public spaces, mm. making sure there's a, an adult that they're comfortable with that's with them. But I found the idea of birthday parties particularly, there is this real drop and run culture yep. with a lot of parents where they're quite happy to drop their child with people that they don't really know or they might have met a couple of times and take off for an hour and a half and go shopping or whatever and then come back and pick them up. Yep. And they might be at a, at a play centre or a sports centre or, you know, with a whole mix of people that they that the children don't know and the parents mm. don't know. Mm. And it gives me shivers. Look, I've got shivers mm. talking yeah. about it. Yep. To me, that feels just like the most basic situation whereby you're not protecting your child. And yes, probably nothing will happen, mm. but what if it does? Mm, mm. And you can't go back from that. And I like that you have said also um, that, you know, prevention, you know, protecting children is, is better than fixing adults. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and easier. <laughs> much easier. But I, to, you know, further your point, Cecilia, I was always brought up where I would argue, <laughs> argue, please, can I say it's such and such as house? And the answer was most often no. And I used to, but why was always, you know, mm. every child's question, but why? And it wasn't until I got older that I probably fully understood that mum and dad used to say, well, we just don't know 
who else is around. So it wasn't so much, so much even the parents, but it was who else could be around. Is there an uncle? Is there a grandparent? It, it's not often the parents. There are other people that can, you know, be in other people's environments that mm. are family or friends that you don't really have any control over. And and now for Olivia and, and Geordie, um, <laughs> I'm, you know, that's the same message, but why? Well, because I said so, you know. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand that. And you don't want to bring that into their awareness either. You just want to bring safety into their awareness. So what are the safe conversations that you yeah, can be having do, with your children how do you do it? To, to protect them? Yep. Okay. And look, there's, there's a challenge for parents uh, because mm. because here, here, here it is in a nutshell. We've got to be in a position where we develop such healthy relationships with our kids, and this is the crunch for me, where we would never, ever give our kids reason to be too scared to come and tell us something whether they felt uncomfortable around someone um, or whether something was happening but they were being told not to tell anybody. Uh, And that's a challenge because, one, we've got to know our kids to know what they're ready to hear and how much they're ready to hear and Mm. when they are ready to hear that. You can have one 11-year-old that is ready to hear maybe a small portion and start the ball rolling. You can have another 11-year-old. They are nowhere near ready to hear anything about this. Mm. And the sad reality is they shouldn't have to. No. That's, that's but the thing. You yeah. can have the stranger danger yeah. conversation, which I remember as a kid was always, don't get into a car with someone that you don't know <laughs> or don't accept lollies. lollies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, was probably that in a more broader yeah. 80s concept. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, here's the thing with that, the stranger danger. Whilst um, we do, sadly, have horrendous situations where children are abducted off the street by it's strangers. not that common, and subject, is it? And so it's in the minority. Mm. The vast majority, the absolute vast majority of sexual offences committed against children will be carried out by someone who the child knows and more than likely who the parents or caregivers know. So when we start to get into that realm where we're talking, and, and I'll just jump back a little bit to in the party scenario. Um, the, the thing is with that, um, we'll get in, we'll get in a minute. We'll get onto the different types of offenders because that'll put some of that into context for mm. you. But 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 a tip for parents in that space of sleepovers, parties, etc. I, I urge parents always that if you don't know the family well that the, the children are going to, it's school friends or whatever, pick up the phone and don't be embarrassed about grilling the parents on the other end. Mm. who's going to be there, who's going to be there the whole time, who's not going to be there the whole time, Um, ask the questions because it's little things like that that can actually deter offenders. I've I've interviewed child sex offenders for over 35 years. Child sex offenders, um, and there are exceptions to the rule, but child sex offenders, if they are of the view that a parent is all over this and vigilant and they're asking those questions uh, or they think that, the mother or a father is a threat to them or they think a child has some sort of knowledge about keeping themselves safe at whatever level that is, they will generally bypass that child. Mm-hmm. They go to the softer targets. So there's actually a lot of little things that you can do that can be very significant in those spaces. Mm. Uh, and a lot of parents say to me, oh, I feel a bit awkward about that. You know what? This is your child. Mm. This is your right. This is your prerogative. Ask the questions. Grill. And, 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 and look, there's no guarantees, but those sorts of things can definitely help. Plus, it's a good opportunity to be the weird, annoying parent, isn't that's it? Fine. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fine. I, uh, most of our kids' friends know that I am the weird, annoying parent. <laughs> they do. I, I sat there the other day and one of the mothers came up to me and she said, now, I'm just letting you know, next year, in March... 
my son is having a sleepover party. I just wanted to prepare you now. <laughs> and I said, okay. Well, <laughs> because my son they know. Won't be there. I know. And, I, and they know. The other thing that we often do too is um, I mean, I won't let the kids go anywhere that I really don't know. Yep. Um, and I would never drop off to a birthday party without knowing either. But also, um, we pick them up often. We don't let them stay over. Hmm. We just pick them up at the end of the, like, you know, come 8, 30, 9 o'clock, that's enough. We'll you know come and get you. Too? I think, and I always say this to my kids, you're a grown-up for such a long time, mm. you know, you're a child for such a small spot on your lifeline. Just be a kid. You know, yeah. you don't have to have sleepovers. No. Yep. You know, you can do sleepovers when you're 15, 16 if you want. You don't need to do them when you're mm. under 10. In my mind, mm. I think try to preserve that child, you know, moment where you don't have to pay bills. You don't. You can leave your room as messy as you want if your parents let you get away with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can yep. play. Play is what's important Definitely. when you're young. We so had um, grow up too quick. I think we, that, that just allows kids to be kids longer. Yeah, as well. yeah, mm. yeah. Of course, yeah, at, at, of course. We had um, sex education at school uh, a little while back, and besides Livy being horrified with the fact that a sperm <laughs> and an egg could get together, not that part. That part she was totally down with. She was horrified that I wasn't making that happen. She was like, "What do you mean we can have a baby now?" I'm like. Well, if that's what mummy and daddy were to choose, she was like, and you're not doing it? (laughs) I don't need any more children. But point is that they really drilled in that, you know, what's safe and what's not. And I actually have to say I was really impressed by just talking about anything that, you know, is under your bathers is yours, no one else's at all. Mm -hmm. And really, if anyone was to um, try and, you know, go there, that they drilled in also not only telling someone that you were safe with, but they talked a lot about the teacher, like the teacher being someone that you can feel very safe and it's their job to help you. To look after you. It was really good because I guess, um, I mean, as a parent, it was a bit concerning that maybe kids didn't feel like they could go to their parent like you were talking yep. about yep. and have that conversation. But at least, I guess, for those that couldn't, they were told that their teacher is someone else who is is mm. is safe to talk to mm. about these things mm. and that we must talk to a teacher that you feel safe with. So even if it's not your own teacher, there is a teacher within the school that you feel safe with. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, in terms of... You people going and disclosing abuse, um, th- there's, a, there's a whole lot of dynamics around that because a lot of, when, when we're talking about sexual abuse of children, there's a whole range of reasons why kids don't talk. Uh, and you can look at a situation where a child may have been subject to a combination of physical abuse, emotional abuse and sexual abuse, which often go hand in hand. But there's another layer as to why children don't talk because through that abuse itself it may be embarrassment, mm. they may have received gifts and got money. That So they've been groomed, they've been coerced into entering into this and they love what they get for it but they hate what they have to do to get that. But but offenders are cunning in that they they make sure that they'll pick kids that otherwise would not have these things in life maybe mm. in some cases. So there's that aspect of it, but there's another layer, and that is that um, kids often don't talk because of the threats that's been made against them. If, mm. you, if you tell anybody about this, this is what I'll do to mm. you. And that's where our kids have got to be educated at the earliest possible age in appropriate ways to know that it is okay to tell somebody. And they've also got to know that even though they may have entered into a, uh, a promise with this person, this offender, they've got to know when it's okay to break a promise. Mm. Um, so it's about preparing our kids at the earliest possible age. That's one of the findings that's come out of the Royal Commission. But you know what? I don't know how that's done. I think that 
Some of the organisations we're involved with have said, well, out of the Royal Commission, it says we've got to train young people around sexual abuse. Um, oh, that's one space I'm not going into because that's 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 parents would rightfully be saying, hang on, what are you going to be telling my kids? I don't mm. want my kids. You know, what, what, so what we're looking at doing is building resources to give parents to help them to... So important. To, well, especially when if you do say things to your kids. My son does gymnastics and um, I dropped him at gymnastics. This was my drop-off. But I said, you need to stay in the room with everybody else and you're not allowed to go to the toilet by yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He just looked at me like, "Totally, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that to me? So I said, go to the toilet before I leave and then you don't have to go and then when I get back you can just come out with all the kids. I still shudder when I see parents allow young children in in shopping centres and public areas go to toilets on their own. You know, I've already said the vast majority of offences are committed by people known and trusted and there's often a grooming process involved. That's true, but it's still an opportunity. And yeah. it still happens, mm. and and you know, mums and dads, even if you've got, you, you know, mums have got to take a boy to the women's toilet or whatever. Just pull rank. You're the parent. Or mm. the disabled toilet. I often take the kids yeah. into the disabled toilet. I know that's yeah. probably Me not too. nice for the person waiting, but yes. Think. Okay, it's time to just take a really quick break. We'll be back in just a sec with more. Welcome back to this episode where we're talking all about how to keep our children safe, which Mm. is a very important topic. Yeah. Can we talk about different types of offenders? Because that's really how we got here because we were having this conversation. And, yeah, I had no idea that there were different types. Okay. Well, the word pedophile is a very loosely used term. Not, you know, if you open up a paper, you hear about, you'll hear pedophile, pedophile, pedophile. Correct pronunciation is pedophile. It's a paediatric term. Uh, but in the West, we tend to drop that and we use the word pedophile. Um, there are many, many different types of child sex offenders. So, you know, we have um, hebophiles, ephebophiles. Oh, um, I won't go into all of those today, but just to give you an example, then we move on to the pedophile. Um, but the way that I tend to break it up is that the best way to simplify it for people in terms of having a a good understanding is that I break it up down between what we call a situational offender and a preferential offender. So with a situational, the key word is obviously situation. Mm -hmm. A situational offender does not live, breathe and exist to have sex with children. A situational offender is an opportunist and they don't plan, they don't strategize, they don't put a long-term plan in like elaborate plans mm-hmm. sometimes into action in order to eventually be able to have a sexual relationship or encounter with this child. They find themselves in a situation where, for some reason, that you and I may never understand, and you know what, sometimes they don't understand, they actually cross the line and they commit an offence against the child mm. because there was an opportunity. They didn't necessarily wake up that morning even dreaming, not even entered their head, but a situation arose. So that's a situational offender. And the situation with a situational offender is, that's a mouthful, the situation with a situational <laughs> offender, um, is that a situational offender in some cases, in some cases I stress, may only have crossed the line once because they themselves are so disgusted in what they've done. Mm-hmm. They can't understand what they've done. They feel filthy. They feel terrible. Uh, and And they will never go back into that space again. However... On the other hand, a situational offender can also turn the offending into a long-term pattern of behaviour because every time a situation presents itself, they can't help themselves. So a classic example is incestuous fathers where they're home alone with kids and all of a sudden mum's out, here's an opportunity, and then they go for it. Or it could be with with the relatives or other people 
young people visiting the home, but they don't have a sexual preference for children. Is there any statistics around that? Like, uh, Look, there's lots of statistics flying around, but you know what? I think that it's it's unknown because the, the full population yeah. of situation or preferential child molesters is totally unknown. You know, what I was more so talking about is how, you know, I guess I'd be interested to learn, it's horrible to talk about, but what percentage of offenders are relatives? What mm. percentage of offenders mm. are parents, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and it happens and it happens. I in the clinic see this all the time where I can pretty much, I'm, I'm, I'm a slight magnet for... <laughs> um, patients who have been some way sexually yep. abused. Yep. I just attract them. Um, um, but, yeah, in terms of what it does to their, their health, often it presents as reproductive issues mm. because wow. they have been abused. So it manifests in that yeah. way. Yeah, because I guess they're protecting themselves mm. to yep. a degree. So I see this all the time. But, I, um, yeah, again, you know, I, I guess that they're – the majority that I tend to see, it hasn't been um, rape or anything like that. It's actually been something in their childhood that's been ongoing mm. and, yeah, quite quite traumatic. So but I guess, though, if you break that down, you're talking about if it's a once-off compared to something that's, like, systematic, if that's your childhood and you're just living with this mm. all the time, it would have to lift a stress level in you that would be hard to shake, surely. Yep. Absolutely. But then you say also that um, often children are groomed or that the, the offender will scout out a certain mm. type of child. Yep. Well, well, that's when we move into the preferential. Because yeah, right. the, pref- okay. the preferential is the person who in in many cases, you know, we, we have to get away from this perception of the dirty old man in the raincoat hanging around the public toilets. It's still dangerous. <laughs> We've got to be on guard. But this is this is far Sorry, more substantial. Well, it's kind of obvious too, like, isn't it? It's like, like you know. Cartoon character. I know, but it's kind of obvious. Yeah. So the preferential, the key words prefer. This yeah, right. person prefers to have sex with children. Mm. Um, and and the vast majority of preferential child preferential child molesters, they are not interested in having sexual relationship with a person around the same age. They, they, they're just not interested. It's actually a turn off. So, so uh, and a preferential child molester, they they can look. They can come in so many different models or ways, whatever you want to what you want to say. Because some preferential child molesters are quite indiscriminate. They'll abuse across the board in terms of age ranges. Uh, other other preferential child molesters, for example. One one preferential may only ever be interested in children between the ages of say eight to twelve years of age, and and they also don't see it as being often an issue. They're like, I can't oh, no, understand no. why anyone would think that there's a problem with that. No, and I'll get and to that. I'll come okay, back to that yes. in a minute. That's good, but but I just want to clarify. So any child, you know, in that eight to twelve age bracket, any child over twelve is never ever going to be at risk from this offender. Because when they hit 12, this, this person, I'll say guy, the vast majority are men. There are women preferentials. Mm. But in terms of numbers, nowhere near that of men. So, so we'll, we'll say men for the purpose of it at the, for the present time. Um, but so when a, when a victim, if their age group's up to that 12, when, when that person turns 12, they're not interested anymore. Mm. Off they go. Uh, others may only ever be interested in children between four to eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, others may only be interested in boys. Others may only be interested in girls. Others will have a certain age bracket, but in that age bracket, that has to be a male, and he has to have—he he must have blonde hair. Any male with blonde hair will never ever be on this person's radar. So what I'm trying to say is, some have very particular likes and dislikes as such. Yep. 
It's interesting. Mm. Um, My brain's just in a big swirl. I know, right? Mm. So back to that idea of seeing nothing wrong. You know, these people, they're offenders, but in their mind what they're doing isn't a problem. Yep, yep. Um, Look, again, the vast majority of preferential child molesters I've ever had involvement with have an absolute unshakable view that they are doing anything wrong, that they are not doing anything wrong, I should say. Uh, That's a genuine belief. They know they're doing wrong because the law says they are wrong, but they believe believe that the law is stupid. Uh, And look, there's there's pedophile groups that exist throughout Mm. society today that uh, are full of advocates that are at all times demanding that, you know, ages of consent be lowered because they they have no, no belief or insight in terms of the damage that it causes. In fact, they will argue black and blue that it's beautiful, that it's love, uh, and that it doesn't cause any harm. So you talk about this grooming, the yep. idea of grooming a child. Yep. What would that involve? What does someone what do? We do? Need to look what do we need to for? Yeah. Okay. All right. One example here is is in my own life um, with two daughters and uh, in, in the midst of my family at one point of time actually being um, under protection because of serious threats against myself, but also my family because some of the investigations I was involved in, we... Um, had to put some things in place for the safety of my two girls. So uh, my youngest daughter was at primary school. My oldest daughter was at um, secondary college. And uh, we had to go to both of those colleges to put the colleges on very high alert. Uh, so they put processes in place to to um, watch over my two daughters very closely. One of the situations we did, and I share this story in seminars, and I can see people 10 years later, they'll see me in the street uh, and they'll come up and say, I've never forgotten that story. And so this is a good one for parents to hang on to because in amongst these real threats, one of the situa- one of the processes we put in place was the college bus driver for my youngest daughter, he was fully briefed in relation to the situation and um, instead of uh, us having to walk our daughter up to the bus stop every morning and go and get her at night and that because of these very real threats that we were subject to... Uh, he would bring her, he would pick her up from the front door of our house and then drop her at the front door of our house each night. So that was one of the things. So whilst this is happening on, on one of the occasions, I, I get home from work one night and, and my wife says to me um, that our youngest daughter got a lovely gift off the bus driver today. And me, the way I'm wired and I'm background, <laughs> I just said to her, what did you get off the bus driver? She showed me what she got off the bus driver. My next question was, um, did anybody else on the bus get a gift? Uh, and uh, her response was no. And as I looked over my right-hand side, I could see my wife standing beside me and she's saying, don't you dare go there. You suspect everybody. This is a good man. I know what you're thinking. Maybe it's time you did something different. I'm thinking, I don't... I don't suspect everybody, but, but and, and the reality is it's a sad day when we challenge someone who does something nice for somebody yeah, exactly. as well. It's a sad day. I mm. get that. But it got to me. So I had to ring, I, in the end, I've, call me overreaction, an overreactive parent, a helicopter response, whatever you want. But I rang the principal and I said, I'm uncomfortable about this. I just followed my instinct and my gut on this one. And the principal did some homework. He got back to me. He said, hey, Carl, I spoke to the bus driver. He said, mate, he was on holidays two weeks ago. In the presence and knowledge of his own wife, they were shopping. He saw this gift and he said, I'm going to buy it for Holly. She's my favourite kid on the bus. I said, thanks for getting back to me. He said, well, before you put the phone down, he wants, he wants me to pass on a message to you. I said, what's that? He said, he wants you to know that he, is, he couldn't be any more angry and outraged with you because of your unhealthy suspicion of him. Uh-huh. And he said, um, and he passed on to me what this bus driver said. Now, my background, my training, I just thought, you know what? This is an over-the-top response. I'm just going to file this. And I did. And, and we move on. Last week of the school, my youngest daughter's last week at primary school, 
my wife rings me four o'clock in the afternoon and says, Holly hasn't come home off the bus today. Now, she said, I know what you're going to ask me. The, the bus, I've rang the college, the bus has completed the first run, uh, which Holly was on. It's been back to the college, picked up the kids for the second run and it's off doing that now. So she said, I don't know what to do. So I put the phone down. I was about to hightail it out to the college and my phone rang in my office and it was my wife. She said, look, it's okay. Holly has just rang in. The bus driver allowed her to make a call. Um, He invited her to stay on the bus for the second run. She'll be home in a few minutes. Now, what is wrong with this picture? Mm. This man is charged and a part of a team to keep my daughter's safe and he's kept her on the bus without our permission. Something is not right here. The end result was... Discussions with the, the school. Um, when, well, when Holly got home, I flew home. I didn't, I didn't have a conversation with her. I actually interrogated her. Mm. I was satisfied that thankfully that man had not touched her. However, I won't go into all the reasons why, but I'd also come to a very clear view that he had implemented a grooming process. He'd commenced a grooming process on her. Difficult to prove that. Um, interestingly, Victoria now, it's now a criminal offence and other states, um, whilst it's not always a clear criminal offence, there are sections under the Act where it can be applied and the Acts are changing rapidly in relation to this area. But back then, it wasn't a, a criminal offence and you, it was a view, an opinion that a grooming process had been implemented. implemented. So what I did was, back to the, back to the, back to the college and... Um, the college met, they brought the guy in. He'd, he'd, he'd breached numerous conditions of his employment. They realised the seriousness of this and they stood him down. And I said to them, well, what does standing down mean? Is that temporary, com- permanent, whatever? And they said, no, he's finished, he cannot drive anymore. I said, well, the problem here is... Does he go somewhere else? Well, here's the thing. I said, the problem here is I've profiled this man. In my view, I would say he's already offended somewhere by now, given his age and the type of grooming process he was putting into. I'm, I'm, I am... I am profiling this guy as a potential preferential child molester. I said, your problem as a college is that this man is always involved in college life. He had family that went to the college. He was the Mr. Fix-It man. I said, so he is, he is involved in college life up to his neck. I said, you as a college are going to have to be vigilant and put systems and structures and strategies in place to make sure this man doesn't offend. Okay, you might think you haven't got enough to move him sideways now and if you don't take that step, you have to at least be absolutely vigilant because I'm telling you, he's going to offend somewhere. So that's the end of that situation. Um, Youngest daughter's off to secondary college the next year. That's it. My understanding, stood down, sacked, no longer will drive the bus again. Can't happen. Six or seven months into the next year, I get a call from one of my colleagues at VicPol. We're turning out on a job. Think you might like to be a part of this one. Guess who it was? Bus driver. The bus driver. The college in its wisdom over the summer break, couldn't find other contractors to drive the bus full time. So they thought, you know what, maybe Carl's wrong. Let's get him in. Let's caution him. Let's draw up a new contract and we will put him back in and we'll let him go. Well, he signed a new contract. Under no circumstances will he buy children gifts at any time. Under no circumstances will any children be on the bus who shouldn't be on the bus. Uh, signed off on that and they turned him out. We investigated that man and we pinged him for because over a five-month five period or so, he systematically sexually abused two six girl, two year, two year six girls on that bus. He very cleverly, couldn't help himself, implemented the grooming process, keeping them on the bus, buying them treats, giving them money, buying them gifts all the time and, 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 and just worked his way into a position where um, he was able to, to sexually abuse those girls. Uh, and, and so it's just a classic example of the grooming process that he, that he put in place. It's really interesting, though, because 
we we talked before about when to tell our kids about these sorts of things. Mm. And I said it's about knowing your daughter or your children you know, in terms of having those conversations. Uh, and, and in terms of one child being ready to hear it another night, you know, my, my two daughters, they, they are both, they're, they're quite different in their personalities. One's a little quieter, <laughs> one's a little reserved, one's a little bit just only one speed and that's flat out. But, but, but it was my youngest daughter, Holly, who by her own admission back then was saying, oh, I was quite, I was so naive. I had no idea. Well, at that age, she was allowed to be naive. Don't. She yeah. didn't have to have any idea, but it was her naivety that made her a target. If I had got my older daughter and swapped her over, the better daughter, the better daughter who, <laughs> whose, whose, whose name happens to be Natalie, <laughs> the favourite daughter. No, not really. If it was Nat, if it was Nat, the difference would have been that she would have had the bus driver up up against the bus saying, "You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used in evidence." So, so that that highlights that that beautifully, I think. But but it's just a classic example because the other thing is when we're talking about offenders and how how brazen they can be, you've got to understand also that this man, who in my view was a preferential child molester, was prepared to try and take the risk knowing what I did for a living. Exactly. That's it. So it's quite mind-blowing when you think about it. I said to Dad, now I can say I was going to say, now the cat's out of the bag. That it's true though. He tells this story and I think it's a really good example and we're running out of time. But um, I know that I would have totally somehow, like, I, I don't know what I would do, but I know that, that wouldn't, I would never let it to get to that point. Do you know what? I have this story of being about five years old and being at a family friend's house and they had an older son who was a teenager by then and he had a few of his mates there and there was a group of kids in the room, in the, like, family room and I wandered in and I was very timid and he said, oh, hi, come over here. I want to tell you a secret. So I walked over and he kissed me on the cheek in front of all his mates and they rolled around the floor laughing and I was horrified, absolutely horrified because it was, you know, that the, um, your personal space. Yes. And, I mean, that was innocent. Mm. However, it stayed with me forever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you think something that's, that's deeper than that mm. can just frame your whole life Absolutely. so easily. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that this conversation is really important and we are going to um, say goodbye for now but mm-hmm. come back with a, um, well, a second episode really. Part two. Part two um, where we can talk more about how parents can identify these people and some of the things that they can do. Um, and also I think it's important to have the discussions around if you have had children that have been abused, then what do we do? So we'd love you to join in for part two of this. Um, we'll say bye for now and we will be back with that next episode. 